Well, it's June, and it's snowing here in the Capital Region. And by snowing, I mean it's cottonwood season, and that white, fluffy stuff is literally everywhere. And there's not much we can do about it either, but please, just please do not try to light it on fire. According to our region's firefighting forces, that will not go well. Coming up on this episode of The Eagle, we'll go over the top headlines. I, I'm sorry, but when, when you talk about making, making the psych exam optional, it does almost read like something out of the onion. And prestige limo company operator Nauman Hussein got the maximum sentence this week following his recent conviction of manslaughter in the deaths of 20 people in one of the country's worst transportation disasters. We'll discuss the reactions to the sentencing. That's all I wanted, for him to say he's sorry. Take accountability for it. He has never, in all this time, ever said he was sorry. You killed 20 people. This is The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. A look inside our newsroom. I'm Jessica Marshall. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring in you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union subscriber today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome to The Eagle. I'm Jessica Marshall. Okay, let's jump in and discuss what appeared in the Times Union and on timesunion.com this week. All right, we're back again with Times Union Editor-in-Chief Casey Seiler. Let's go over the top headlines. Um, Let's start with the situation with a number of asylum seekers or migrants who have been transported up to Albany and Colony in the last week. Um, and there have been some developments around that this week. So can you can you give us kind of a summary of what's going on there? Yeah, it's I think it's fair to say it's been a contentious couple of days uh, as the capital region has, um, you know, grappled with the impact of New York City getting overwhelmed by the migrant surge uh, in recent weeks and months. Social services and nonprofits, as well as you know, city agencies, have been looking for something of an escape valve. And uh, as we have discussed in recent weeks, first it was the Hudson Valley that received busloads of asylum seekers for temporary housing. And uh, beginning last weekend, somewhat contentiously, late Saturday night. Colony, the town of Colony, was the first capital region community to receive a busload of asylum seekers. And town supervisor Peter Crummy was not at all pleased. And he pointed out that the city's decision to send this busload up uh, without proper notification or coordination with Albany County officials seemed to fly in the face of the uh, state of emergency that uh, had been put in place by Albany County Executive Dan McCoy earlier this month. And Crummy had 
lots of things to say. He basically accused uh, leaders of uh, the city of Albany. I don't think he named Mayor Kathy Sheehan, but it was pretty clear that that's who he meant of derogating their responsibility as a self-described sanctuary city by essentially uh, playing some kind of role, although he wasn't very specific about what the city might have done in uh, sending this busload out to Colony. Kathy Sheehan said that it was an outright lie to suggest that uh, the city had a hand in steering the bus to a hotel you know, over the line into Colony on Wolf Road. But then on Sunday, Mayor Sheehan did note that she had advised against sending a load of migrants to a ramada that is just off of Everett Road because of the high number of police calls that had been made to that lodging. Um, This was also a point that Peter Crummy made in Colony about the motel where the migrants did actually end up. Now, that same ramada did end up getting uh, a subsequent busload of migrants and now a second uh, hotel, I believe, in in the city of Albany has received uh, another busload. And on Tuesday, Dan McCoy said that the way the city was doing this was uh, exceedingly problematic, did violate the, the state of emergency, and that there needed to be better coordination. And on Wednesday, Apparently, the city did agree to do a better job of communicating and coordinating with Albany County. Albany County has been making the case, hey, you know, we've we've put a hand out. We want to help. We want to do what we can. But that New York City was making it very difficult by essentially not coordinating properly. And uh, so that's where the situation sits uh, right now. Complicated is an understatement, I imagine. Yes. Well, in a sort of tangential segue, I think the next story that I want to talk about is the fact that Albany has added residents, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. Uh, It's one of, you know, a handful, maybe less than that, of New York's most populous cities that actually grew, according to the most recent census. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. uh, Ken Crow reported on this. One of uh, your you're correct. Albany is one of only two of the state's 12 most populous cities that added people in uh, the year ending at the beginning of July 2022. Now, we're only talking about 91 people, but still, Albany and New Rochelle, um, the only uh, ones among the top dozen most populous cities, the other 10 all lost population, according to, uh, to the census. Wow. You know, upstate uh, upstate needs people. And uh, we we have uh, discussed before and the census has pointed out that immigrant communities from various points uh, have assisted upstate in um, either maintaining or at least, you know, nominally in the case of Albany growing growing populations. Yeah, we've discussed endlessly that um, many businesses, many industries are suffering from uh, a labor shortage. And uh, 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 when you are losing population, that can can be exacerbated. Of course, different industries need different types of workers. But how many times have you been at a restaurant and you've seen a sign up almost desperate for workers? 
so there you go. Speaking as a, we are we are both residents of the city of Albany, and it's uh, it's good to see more neighbors. Absolutely, proud resident of the city of Albany here. All right, let's move away from Albany though, and move on up the Hudson River uh, to Saratoga Springs. Wendy Libertor reported a story that uh, I guess is unusual. Um, the Saratoga Springs City Commissioner says the city is considering overriding psychological tests for police and firefighters. What is going on with that? Yes, the Public Safety Commissioner James Montagnino says that the city's police and fire departments are um, having trouble in its recruiting or hiring because what he terms, and I quote, a remarkable spate of psych eval failures, he would like to make the psychological exam for these public safety workers optional in hiring. Now, Saratoga Springs is a, a city where I think it's fair to say there has been some contentious debate about law enforcement, uh, especially in the wake of the Black Lives Matter protest uh, of a couple of years ago and uh, you know activism of course that continues to this day the state attorney general's office is probing the way that the city's uh, law enforcement and elected officials handled those protests and interacted with um, activists it does seem slightly weird that a, a top city official would suggest that the solution to this recruiting effort would be to make the psych exams optional. As noted, he Montagnito notes that these exams are, you know, a subjective analysis of things like impulse control, judgment, and the ability to tolerate stress. All things that, Jess, I think we would agree, it's good to have in law enforcement, which is, of course, a paramilitary force that we empower to uh, walk around with guns and arrest people. But there you go. Uh, Montagnino's point is that the city has um, very high standards, and perhaps in order to make sure we've got a full uh, complement for the police and fire departments, we might need to. I, I'm sorry, but when when you talk about making making the psych exam optional, it does almost read like something out of the Onion. But there you go. <laughs> not the Onion. Hashtag not the Onion. That's right. All right. Uh, before I let you go, uh, we've actually not yet talked about arguably the largest uh, headline that we had this week, and that revolves around the sentencing of Nauman Hussein, who was convicted two weeks ago of second-degree manslaughter in the deaths of 20 people in the horrific limo accident in Schoharie County in 2018. We were on site, uh, Larry Rulison and I were on site for that hearing, um, and we had a nice conversation with Larry, kind of downloading what happened afterward. Is there anything else that you think is important for our audience to know before we jump into this conversation about what happened? Obviously, I was I was very glad um, Larry was there because he has led on this story. Nobody knows more about this extraordinarily complex, multi-tentacled case than than he does. And I was especially glad that you were out there to collect details and feed them back to us and and obviously to get audio to bring listeners and uh, and our readers into the into the courtroom. Absolutely. It's a very important story for us. Um, we're going to jump right into that conversation after this. But before I do, thank you, Casey, for joining us. And we'll check back in with you on headlines next week. Thanks, Jess. 
As always, you can learn more about all of the topics and the issues we discuss on this podcast at timesunion.com or on any of our social channels. We're going to take a short break now, but when we're back, we will jump right into our conversation with Larry Rulison about Nauman Hussein's sentencing. Stay tuned. It's been 15 years since 12-year-old Jalik Rainwalker vanished. His disappearance from rural upstate New York was ruled a probable child homicide. But no one has ever been charged, and his body has never been found. This is Rainwalker, the Lost Boy. I'm Jessica Marshall. And I'm Wendy Lepertor. In this podcast from the Times Union, we'll take a deep dive into this mystery, the case of a missing child that has unsettled New York's capital region and beyond for more than a decade. Available now wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm Jessica Marshall. As we mentioned before the break... Arguably, our top story this week was the sentencing of Nauman Hussein. The 33-year-old former limousine company operator was convicted two weeks ago of second-degree manslaughter in the deaths of the 20 people who were killed in a 2018 limo crash in Schoharie. Judge Peter Lynch sentenced him to 5 to 15 years in state prison, which was the maximum allowable in New York State for the crime. The sentencing followed more than an hour of tearful victim impact statements from the families of the victims. Nauman Hussein himself did not speak, and that was on the counsel of his attorney, Lee Kinland. Uh, His words to me today were, can I stand up and finally say something? And I said, no, you may not, Um, which is what I told the judge is uh, only on the advice of counsel is he not going to say anything. Some of the victims' family members spoke to reporters outside the courtroom afterward. That's all I wanted, for him to say he's sorry, take accountability for it. He has never, in all this time, ever said he was sorry. You killed 20 people over money? Well, there's a sense of relief that we got through a long journey, of which your trial was a part of. Um, This chapter of that journey is closed. I'm sure there's more things that we're going to do going forward as far as advocacy. There could be an appeal. We, We know we're not finished, but this was a great step forward for the families. Schoharie County District Attorney Susan Mallory declined to speak with reporters outside. Special counsel Fred Wrench, however, stopped to answer a few questions. Um, The verdict, I was confident that the proof, um, we had proof to convict. Of course, you never know about these things until they actually take place, but I I was confident, yes, and as far as the sentence goes, I think it was to be expected. 
Hussein's legal team has filed a notice of appeal. He also faces multiple wrongful death civil lawsuits that are pending, and also pending civil suits filed against Mavis Discount Tire in Saratoga County. A judge, however, overseeing discovery in those cases has said that some of the limo families have reached a settlement in principle with the National Auto Repair Chain. The terms of that have not been disclosed. It is the judgment of this court that the, be, that the defendant be sentenced to an indeterminate term of imprisonment with a maximum of 15 years and a minimum of five years. Larry Rulison and I were in the courtroom on Wednesday, and after the hearing, we chatted with Times Union editor Casey Seiler about what happened. So uh, Larry and Jess, in last week's episode of The Eagle, Larry talked about the scene in the courtroom when the verdict was read, and and we played the audio from that, and there was the, the you know, the uh, the audible intake of, of breath. That I think, Larry, the word we we were discussing was cathartic. How would you describe the moment when the sentence was announced by Judge Lynch that it would be the max, that it would be five to five to fifteen years? I don't know what you think, Jess, but I, I thought it was very uh, sort of formulaic. There wasn't as much emotion this time. Turned over to the New York State Department of Corrections. Defendant is remanded. I think that, you know, there wasn't much that Judge Lynch could do anyway. And so it's just very matter of fact, there was I I didn't hear any the family say, you know, anything yes or no against it or for it at the time. What did you think, Jess? Well, I was kind of watching them and sort of positioning my recorder to capture what I thought was going to be some reaction like audible reaction and i didn't really see any reaction on any of their faces really i'm i mean some of them were a little tear stained from the victim impact statements but i did not really see any no flinching no gasping sighing it was just kind of like almost blank faces uh, the only reaction that i really noticed was from nauman hussein's girlfriend who was sort of bent over and shaking but she didn't make any noise either it was very quiet yeah of course, that came after uh, an hour and a half of statements from the families of of the victims, and obviously, different family members are going to have a different sort of admixture of anger and sorrow in their statements. But in general, what were some of the the expressions that were made that that really stood out to you amid all that kind of pain and anger on display? Four years, seven months, and 25 days ago, my life, along with my families and dozens of others, was destroyed because you and Mavis chose to put profit over people. You know, the, the, the families were still very very upset and and they explained you know how this had changed everything for them that they can't celebrate holidays the same way that every day they think of their lost one there was one i think it was uh i can't remember exactly who it was one of the parents said 
every Saturday at one fifty-five, he goes through this again. I mean, every week that that was the kind of thing you heard, and it just it was uh, it's just difficult to to listen to it because you know that these people are suffering still so much. So, I also think the remarkable thing about the witness impact statements. Now, I wasn't there previously the year prior 2021 i think when a lot of them read victim impact statements in the first place a lot of these people were doing it for the second time which you know obviously there was a lot of emotion in what they were reading and what they were saying but i just kind of was looking around at the the families um in the courtroom and they just kind of looked tired like weary like they've heard all of this before they felt all of this before and, and they were just kind of ready for it to be over yeah, I mean, two two years ago, not quite two years ago, when, as you noted, Jess, you know, uh, Nauman Hussein accepted the the plea deal to criminally negligent homicide. It, he knew that he was going to walk out of that courtroom, as did the families of the dead. They knew that he was going to walk out of the courtroom and go to dinner if he wanted. This was obviously a very different scenario for him. Very different visually, of course. He's not wearing a suit as he had in in uh, all of his other. I'm pretty sure almost all of his other court appearances, except probably back to uh, the days after his initial arrest. We've always seen him in a suit, and of course here he was dressed in the you know orange and orange and white striped pants of uh, an inmate. That was very interesting to see that it it uh, definitely was vastly different. You know, he'd spent two weeks at the Schoharie County Jail. You could tell that, you know, I don't know how much Lee, his lawyer Lee, can have talked to him, but they seemed to be trying to catch up. Reading stuff, I'm sure that who knows what he was trying to tell him as much as he could in the time he had with his client. Um, and yeah, the, the uh, Nauman's girlfriend was, or she had say was just beside herself as, and his brother was very concerned, so... Yes, it was just uh, it was a totally different. But yeah, I think the fam, like Jess said, the uh, families, uh, I agree, were just exhausted from this all. Based on your um, your understanding of what Lee Kinlan's appeal is going to be, what are what are the major issues that he is going to that he's going to put before the court? Is he going to re-argue the the idea that it should be impermissible for a judge to essentially toss out the plea agreement after his client has admitted to a felony in open court. Yeah, you know the what he said was um, the judge he disagreed with the judge not giving a instructions to the jury before they went to deliberate about third party liability. I I am assuming he was talking about Mavis that they didn't say you can be guilty of a crime or you you know or there could be others also contributing to this i wasn't sure exactly but it's going to be more on how judge lynch conducted the trial itself and the instructions he gave the jury not so much that thing that where he threw it out that might be in a separate appeal or a separate part of the appeal i'm not really sure exactly but i'll be really interested to see he filed a notice of appeal, but he hasn't filed the document yet, I don't think. It'll be interesting to see what uh, Lee, his appeal entails. Nauman Hussein, now off to state prison. One of the elements of his earlier plea deal was that he 
could now be deposed in the civil cases. Those depositions took place, but is it now in question as to whether or not he um, will be appearing in court for those civil cases since he is now in car number one, you know, guilty of second degree manslaughter and also the fact that he's going to be behind bars? Yeah. I guess I could always see him do it, being able to do it virtually or, you know, uh, I think he did his one deposition was done from like his apartment. And, you know, I don't think there's anything if he's called to testify in a civil deposition for a civil trial, I think he has to if he's subpoenaed or whatever, however that happens. But one of the justices said, you know, Dam Hussein, you know, the, the plea deal didn't compel him to do the deposition. I mean, he's supposed to appear in depositions when he's subpoenaed for it. So anyway, so. I think they'll figure a way to get him to to speak to that. I mean, I, all I know is in the uh, I reread the his deposition. He said like nothing, virtually nothing. So, you know, I could see him not being very a very uh, helpful uh, witness um, in the civil cases. Yeah, I mean, you you make a good point that the difference was when he was deposed after accepting the plea two years ago, he could not say, you know, I, I refuse to answer, you know, uh, right. fear that I would, <laughs> that I could implicate my myself in a crime because he, of course, he had already admitted to the crime. But here, if he's going to be, as Lee Kinlan noted, appealing the decision, he could take the fifth and say, I'm not going to say a thing. But but then again, as you note, yeah, you're right. Um, he was not, uh, he was not exceedingly helpful to the plaintiffs in those civil suits. So maybe they're just gonna they're just gonna let him uh, let him sit. Thank you both so much for you know good breaking coverage um, today. Of course, we're just talking a couple of hours after the sentence was read. I'm, I'm sure there will be more to come, but this definitely closes uh, a very long chapter in in this terrible story. Thanks, Casey. All right, that's it for this week. I'm Jessica Marshall. We'll be back next week with another look inside the newsroom here at the Times Union. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, or head on over to timesunion.com for the latest news and features. The Eagle is a production of the Times Union. It's produced and edited by me, Jessica Marshall, with help from the Times Union digital team and the newsroom. Special thanks this week to Casey Seiler, Larry Rulison, and Rose Schneider for their contributions to this episode. <laughs>